piece very early on as a creative that I will never be truly comfortable with anything that I do. It gets to a point in leadership where it's actually just indulgent to give in to your feelings of inadequacy. You've got to stay naive, you've got to stay curious and don't get burnt out. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. It's a beautiful time where you were encouraged just to do the craziest ideas, like to shock the subservient female who make tea. No, I'm not doing that. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Imposterous. It's International Women's Day this week, and who better to have as a guest than Cindy Gallup? Most of you will have heard of her, but she has a very interesting history. She grew up in Brunei, English father, Malaysia Chinese mother, studied English literature at Oxford University, receiving a master's, and then an additional master's from Warwick University in theatre of the European Renaissance. She started off as a theatre publicist and marketer for several years before she was picked up by BBH in the London office. In 1996, she moved out to Singapore to open up BBH Singapore and then went on to New York to open up the US branch of BBH. In 2003, she was named Advertising Woman of the Year and then continued to make some waves in advertising before switching gears and setting up her own innovation consultancy. In 2009, at a TED conference, she launched Make Love Not Porn, something that's gone on to be one of the most talked about TED Talks on the entire platform platform which is all about finding a more humane way of viewing sex, educating couples about consent and creating more meaningful connection. Cindy's a force of nature. She regularly speaks at conferences and industry meetings about the need to disrupt the old way of doing things. In short, she likes to blow shit up. (laughs) In case in point, she doesn't even believe that there's any such thing as imposter syndrome, just that there are only people, especially women, who have never been appreciated, valued and rewarded in the way that they deserve. Ladies and gentlemen, Cindy Gallup. Cindy Gallup, thank you very much for joining us on The Imposterous. And today is International Women's Day. And I thought we'd start there. And I read a tweet that you had in 2020 um, where you called, which you always have, for some time now, called on women to support each other. I even read a a quote, which was when talking about pay rises to ask for a large enough amount that you don't laugh out loud at. This year's theme is break the bias. But I wonder if your approach to this has been the opposite of that, has been to maintain a bias, to flip the bias, so to speak, if our way of getting to a notion of equality, if if we're even close to that, and I'd love your opinion on that, is for women to be more pro-women. Love your thoughts on that as we go into today. Uh, Well, well actually, um, Michael, what I say basically is on International Women's Day and every other day, don't use words like empower and celebrate. Use words like hire, promote, pay, raise, bonus, fund, invest in, enrich, give equity, elect, lead, and don't just say it, do it. So that's what I believe in. So do you think the day itself could be lost in a bit of marketing spiel, that it could just be caught up by corporations and brands trying to latch onto it and therefore using words like empower and celebrate and only doing that one day of the year 
is nowhere near enough and it's not an action. It's just talk. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, on International Women's Day, brands and companies engage in, you know, feel-good exercises and the rest of the year they go right back to underpaying women, under-promoting women, allowing environments of sexism, racism, sexual harassment, misogyny to thrive and forcing women out of industries. And the second thing that is especially objectionable about International Women's Day, which I'm subject to myself, is that I, like a very large number of women, am approached by a very large number of companies and brands to speak on International Women's Day. When asked to pay me, um, they suddenly go, oh, we don't have a budget. And that's not just my experience, that's a ton of other women's. And that makes an absolute mockery of what International Women's Day is, is supposed to be all about, which is why, again, my tweet, you know, don't celebrate women, don't empower women, pay us. Yeah, brilliant. So the imposterous wants to deal with the series of feelings that can really hit anyone in any industry at any time around doubt, and we'd really like your help in blowing up, I think, in this next 20 minutes or so, the idea of self-doubt. I wanted to talk firstly, though, about the benefit of working in advertising. I think a lot of our, our listeners are in the advertising or creative industry, and you've touched on the idea that working in those environments, creative environments, this notion of entrepreneurialism is really um, alive and well in those. And particularly as we all head back to offices, I think when people start getting back together, there might be a bit more of that buzz, which might have been harder to maintain over Zooms and various other calls. And how that feeds into your passion, which is working for yourself, how the environment that some of our listeners find ourselves in now would be helping promote the idea of working for themselves, what they should look for, what they could benefit. Well, quite honestly, in the first instance, you know, what I think is deeply unfortunate is that our industry has colluded over decades in its own devaluation. And that is why the industry and the people who work within it are despised on the outside by an awful lot of people. And very unfortunately, the people in our industry can internalize that. And I think the most important thing for everybody working in advertising right now to realize is that we do not get enough credit for the many things you have to be brilliant at in order to be good at your job. We don't get enough credit for the fact that we have to be masters of human psychology. We have to be brilliant at, you know, mining consumer insights, at understanding human behavior. And all of that will stand everyone in the industry in very good stead, uh, wherever they choose to go subsequently. Um, we also don't get enough credit for how extraordinarily creative we are. Every single person working in advertising who is passionate about what we do has in their bottom drawer, in their head, a list of the brilliant ideas that never got to happen because the client rejected them, didn't have enough budget, they didn't make it through the creative review, you know, they were put on hold, whatever. Um, you know, to this day, I can think of several ideas that I've worked on and I burn with rage about the fact they didn't happen. That's how much creativity we do not given, we are not given credit for when we have to churn it out on a daily basis. And that in itself is an extraordinary feat. And then thirdly, you know, I would say that 
you know, people on the street don't realize how bloody brilliant we all are at being able, because this is the job, to look at any brand in any sector and be able to very quickly identify what its key business issues are, what the competitive environment is like, and come up with a strategy and a creative vision for what that brand should be doing to make far more money. We are brilliant at that because we have to do that literally every day. And we have to do that endlessly, pitch after pitch after pitch, not just you know actual client after actual client after actual client. Then fourthly, um, we are um, enormously good at summing things up concisely, quickly, and compellingly. I am Ms. Soundbite because I've been working in advertising for 37 years. You know, and, and I often hear that um, when I give media interviews or I'm asked to do, you know, vox pops at conferences. You know, to, um, people go, wow, you know, you said that so well. You know, that is what working in advertising teaches us to do because we are taught to ruthlessly strip something down to the simplest possible concept and communicate that as compellingly and engagingly as possible. And so all of those things massively equip anybody on an industry to do anything they want to do beyond advertising, including um, working for themselves and starting their own business. Yeah, it's brilliant. I guess to your points there, we, we might potentially start off as people watchers. We might just be kind of like naturally enjoy the fact of watching people and then we become quite empathetic and we become like feeling what they feel or trying to understand what it is that they feel. And then we have this this bottom drawer full of ideas, which is obviously a reflection of being ideas fit. But what kind of impact do you think, though, that a career could actually have unless you have some, you know, mentors or, or ways to, to break out of? What, what kind of impact do you think that has? Years of, I guess, potential rejection of brilliant ideas, feeling what other people feel, and being asked your opinion constantly. Is oh, that, well, does that wear people down? Um, no, not at all. That's fantastic training. It's like um, being an actor or a model. Um, we get used to rejection because it happens every day. You know, we learn not to take it personally. Um, we, we learn to welcome it because that is ultimately how you get to the best ideas. You know, I, um, I said accurately that I can to this day tell you about th brilliant things that I and my teams came up with that should have happened that didn't. And I'll always remember them because I'm more than that. But on the other hand, you know, I can also point to, you know, brilliant campaigns I've worked on where either the client or the agency's internal review process rejected concept after concept. And we got to the best possible idea because of that process. Um, so, no, you know, that... Um, you know, um, being inured to creative rejection because you know it's part of the process, accepting that, knowing that your best idea is not necessarily the first, that equips everybody brilliantly for anything else they want to do. I, I want to ask you about not having a fear then of what other people might think, because I guess rejection is, you know, the, the nervousness of, oh, I hope someone likes this, but you repel that. You, you, you want to be the opposite of that and not giving a fuck about what people um, well, what, uh, um, No, let's differentiate here, Michael, between, you know, um, creative output and, um, and personal life, okay? Um, 
I'm, I'm, you know, to, um, you know, in terms of the creative review process that I've just described, I'm absolutely fine with being completely open to what other people think because that's how we make make the work great. You know, to, um, as I just said, we learn from rejection. We learn from you know, several rounds of creative reviews. Um, we learn from, I mean, it was, you know, Bill Birnbach, who I think, who said, you know, always have those little words in your mind, the client might be right. Learn from what, you know, the client rejects and pushes back on um, in the presentation. And so I'm completely open to hearing all of that, learning from it and using it to make the work better. Um, in my personal life, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks of me. Right. And that's and that, I think that's 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 like a really big lesson to learn, isn't it? That's kind of like when your work isn't your life, you know, you are not your work. So you 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 draw the line that it's a very professional thing. And I think that's a that's a very big thing for people to learn. Well, um, to, um you know, to, um, that's not actually true in my case because um you know, to, um, I mean I'm drawing distinction between um professionally um, caring about and learning from what other people think of the thing you are working on, separate to personally caring what other people think of you, which I absolutely don't. Um, however, what I exhort everybody to do is what I do, which is live and work their values, because I don't draw a demarcation line between my work and my life, because precisely because I work for myself and I am able, therefore, to build businesses that are based on my values, my beliefs, and my philosophies. And so, you know, many years ago, um, I gave a talk at a women's tech conference here in the US, um, where I talked about the fact that, you know, I believe the complete opposite of Tim Ferriss's famous book, The Four Hour Workweek. Because what The Four Hour Workweek presupposes is that life is made up of work, which is this horrible, nasty thing you want to do as little of as possible, and everything else, which is the fun part. And so the four hour work week is all about, you know, getting the nasty bit worked out for the least possible amount of time. And I said to the audience, I'm about the complete opposite, uh, which is the all hour work week, because when you are, you know, building a business around your values, when you are living and working what you believe in, then, you know, it isn't nasty, it isn't a horrible bit of life, and you can absolutely, you know, enjoy life while at the same time being utterly committed to what you do work-wise in that context. And I think that's taking the, the well-known saying of enjoy what, you'll do, what, what you do and you'll never work a day in your life to the notion of believe in what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. So I wanted to ask you about that because um, for a number of years you've been pioneering the social sex revolution, make love, not porn. And I wonder about this and I, I, I did rewatch the original TED Talk and there was a lot more nervous laughter in, in the conversation than there seems to be now. And I guess that's time and time has changed and you might be losing, I guess, the patience with, with where we are with this subject and I'd love to, to know about that, whether, whether, whether it's made as much of a difference, should we make more of a difference, but... My question is, you know, on the imposter syndrome side of this is, do you ever think before you go on stage, why should they listen to me? No. 
Okay. Well, then maybe my first question then. <laughs> <laughs> the nervous laughter no, ar- um, no, around, no, around no, the subject. No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, in a broader sense, uh, Michael, and by the way, before I speak anywhere, um, because obviously I support myself um, alongside um, being an entrepreneur um, as a paid public speaker and consultant. And, you know, I have to tell you that I am always scared shitless before I speak anywhere. The day I'm not as day I worry about myself. But, but I certainly never, ever question why the audience should want to hear from me. Um, you, you're not going to get any false modesty from me here. First of all, um, I am a bloody brilliant speaker. And within two minutes of coming on stage, I can have any audience in the palm of my hand, and I know that. Um, so no, um, they will want to hear from me. B, I've been talking about you know my own perspectives on marketing, advertising, brand building, tech, innovation, the future, whatever sector I'm being paid to speak on. And I know that I share insights um, that nobody else does. I have things to say you will never hear from anybody else. And, you know, I know that because I've heard that from many audiences many times. Um, I gave a talk on Make Love Not Porn and Sex Tech at, um, to eBay's New York office. Um, this is a few years ago. And after it, a young man came up to me. You know, I was talking to a room full of engineers. He came up to me and he said, you know, I've just joined eBay from MIT. And MIT can get the absolute cream of the crop when it comes to speakers. We've had every tech great speak there. He said, I've never heard anybody talk about the things you just talked about. So I know my content's very compelling. And then thirdly, um, to what you're asking about Make Love Not Porn, I have no qualms whatsoever about talking about Make Love Not Porn in any environment, no matter how corporate. In fact, I regularly work Make Love Not Porn into the talks I give to companies, both because Make Love Not Porn is a manifestation of my own business philosophies and beliefs. Um, you know, I, des- I design it around what I believe is a business model of the future. I use it as a business case study, um, but also because I want to obviously promote my own business. And, you know, I have no qualms about that because I know perfectly well that when I speak to any audience about Make Love Not Porn, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You're giving, I want to ask your advice on that. Is that destiny? Is that hard work? Is that a belief in your own values? How do, how do you share that confidence? What's your tips on that? You know, um, so I'm regularly asked the question, Michael, you know, so how, Cindy, how do you get this confident? And my answer is 62 years of life. You know, I mean, I mean, that's what being 62 years old does. But, but obviously, I'd like to shortcut that process for everybody else. And I think, you know, given the theme of your podcast, I want to say to our listeners that there is no such thing as imposter syndrome. There are only people, and there are only especially women, because regrettably, far more women think they suffer from imposter syndrome than men. There are only women who have never been appreciated, valued, promoted, paid, celebrated, um, held up to acclaim in the way that they deserved. That's the only reason people think they have imposter syndrome. Yeah, I was There's having, no such thing as imposter syndrome. Yeah, I was having a great conversation with uh, an ex-colleague of mine who made the point, which I think would feed into what you, you also believe and value, is that the notion of imposter syndrome could be the thing that keeps a lot of us chained to the corporate wheel 
it could be the reason why we don't actually think, hey, we could go out and do our own thing because this kind of um, security that might happen in a monthly, fortnightly paycheck might actually be seen as the security that we need as opposed to expressing um, ourselves and maybe I might fail. Maybe that feeling is what holds people to the, to the wheel. Um, I wanted to mention something else that a, a colleague of mine said um, when, when I mentioned we were going to be having this conversation was that um, Cindy is a lot. And that makes me feel okay because I'm a lot. And I just thought that's I just thought I just thought that's that that's actually brilliant. And I wanted to talk to you about the kind of role models that women and young girls need going forward to to feel it's okay to speak up, to to call it out, to to say so. Well, quite frankly, Michael, they need to see many more women who are a lot. You know, so um, so I just did um, an interview uh, a couple of months back for um, a series. It's on YouTube. Um, it's a mother-daughter um, um, interviewing duo um, called Style Like You. And this interview series is built around um, a concept they call What's Underneath, where they interview somebody as you basically sit in a stool and with each question you're asked, you take an item of clothing off. And so I did this as part of their Defying Ageism series. I have to say, so I took all my clothes off on video, you know, right down to my underwear. I was blown away by the response to that video. First of all, Mm. I went viral on TikTok. um, And so Gen Z loved it. Um, I think the last time I looked, the clip they posted had um, 4.3 million views. Um, and, and not just views, but um, a ton of versioning where, you know, um, something like 900, there are 900 versions of people using my audio from that interview and doing their own, you know. Well, I've, um, I've currently got a brief in front of me that says we want to go viral on TikTok. So maybe my suggestion is Cindy Gallup taking her clothes off, but it sounds like that's, <laughs> that, that's been done. But, but, but the reason I'm telling you that is, that, so this interview is also on YouTube and it's on Instagram. And... I've been blown away by the comments and I found one comment on Instagram particularly moving because one woman said, imagine if we had all grown up seeing and hearing women be like this, how very different our lives would be today. And so what women need as role models is women who are a lot, by which I simply mean being themselves. And for women to have those role models, men need to make room for those role models in every industry, including our own at the top of that industry, because otherwise you don't get to see those role models. It doesn't matter how much diversity you bring in at the bottom if you show it nowhere to go at the top. And the really unfortunate thing is that it's not just important for women, it's important for men. You cannot be what you cannot see applies to men as much as to women. When men do not grow up in industries, seeing brilliant female role models bring a completely different approach to leadership and management and, you know, how they look after people and how they build cultures, then those men, the men in our industry are all the poorer for it when they do not have female role models in front of them to show them what they could lead like. A lot of conversations in that isn't there about what we've actually missed out on through the generations of not seeing the women providing the ideas and the leadership in various industries. What we haven't benefited from is a, is, is a massive loss because of um, yeah. how and we've actually. Add, and it's very important, Michael, not to say that in the passive tense. Don't say what we've missed out on. Say men made us miss out on this. 
mm. through sexism, through misogyny, through sexual harassment, which which yeah. which causes women to just leave the industry in droves. Yes. If there's anything on this subject of imposter syndrome, if there's anything you wanted to, to add in, in wrapping this up? I think, you know, I, I would just go back to what I said originally, and I especially want the women listening to this to hear this. There is no such thing as imposter syndrome. There is only the fact that you have not been rewarded and appreciated and valued and promoted and paid and celebrated as you should be. You know, I feel that especially strongly because I do personal coaching for women and for men. I coach um, a lot of women in our industry and in other industries. Um, I had a coaching client um, just last week. She is bloody brilliant. She's an older woman and she has been kept down in her industry by misogyny and sexism, which has made her so unsure of her own capabilities. You know, I had to tell her how bloody brilliant she is. Equally, I remember coaching a female um, creative in our industry. This is a few years back. You know, in our session, she said to me, Cindy, and, and she was about to say something, then she went, no, no, no. And I went, what is it? Spit it out. And she went, well, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but I think my boss is sabotaging me. No, 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 he can't possibly. No, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sure he's not. And I went, okay, well, just, you know, um, tell me why you think that. And on anecdote number two, I went, he's sabotaging you. Okay, that is what women are dealing with in our industry every day, in every industry. And so there is no such thing as imposter syndrome. There are only people who are not telling you how bloody brilliant you are in the way that they should be, and they're not demonstrating that with promotions and pay. That's the only problem. And if you're not getting that way of working, get the fuck out. Because you, you, you said earlier, Michael, about people feeling chained to companies. It, it's so bad to do that because I always remember my English grandmother was a great um, fan of Buddhism. And there was a saying, I remember from my childhood, where she quoted a Buddhist saying, the fool says evil cannot touch me, but drop by drop the pitcher fills. When you stay in an environment where you're not appreciated, where you are kept down every single day, that destroys your soul atom by atom over time. Don't let that happen. Get the fuck out. In, in one of your messages, which is about calling it out and speaking up, maybe that's as much to yourself. Of course it is to the environment. I'm not trying to give the environment off the hook here, but it's like the acknowledgement of being able to call that out, to speak, to speak up, and that's mentors and, you know, coaching and whoever that enables you to do so, but speaking up to yourself and having those honest conversations of is it the environment that's making me feel the way I am? Um, it's been great. Yeah, but, and, 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 and that's also, Michael, why we need men like you. We need male allies who are determined to change everything we're talking about to allow women to rise. And my message to the men listening is it's very simple. When you feel threatened by a woman, praise her, value her and appreciate her and say good things about her to everybody else because you will know when you feel threatened by a woman, there's real talent there. And if you help her rise, she will create a better working environment for you and she will make your life so much better. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah you're right. You know, and there's no, there's no need for that habit to actually be encouraged men of doing that for men because that has gone on for generations and generations. Mm. And this is just about a balancing of, of, of the practice of the habit 
of actually opening that conversation wider and the, you know, the benefits that that can actually have as a flow and effect to individuals, corporations and cultures is phenomenal. Now, now, Michael, I have to ask you, because I have to say, I do love the theme of your podcast. Um, it's enormously unique. Um, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's really important that your listeners let you know if this has actively helped them get rid of imposter syndrome. And also, you know, to, um, I, I go back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, I focused on women because proportionally speaking, more women think they have imposter syndrome than men. But exactly the same applies to men. You know, men, there is no such thing as imposter syndrome, just workplaces where you have not been valued and celebrated and promoted enough. You know, we've felt a bit awkward sometimes being two blokes talking about this, but, but you know, why not? That's, you know, yeah. it can't... No, it, no, it, absolutely. Kind of, I think it's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much, Cindy. Really appreciate your time for joining us. Oh, no, it's an, it's an absolute pleasure and fantastic. Really appreciate Lovely it. Lovely talking to you, Michael. Yeah, great Bye, talking to you. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks, Cindy. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email. Cause you're so-